You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here. All of you who are watching online, what's up? We love you. We're so glad that you're tuning in this day. I pray that you would uh, enjoy what you're watching and that you get something out of it that's beneficial to you and to your life. If you like what you're seeing, would you do us a favor? Go ahead and share that on your social media. That means a lot. And uh, happy birthday, Roxy. We're so glad that you made it today. We think that you're gonna have an awesome year. For all of you who are watching online, you know who Roxy is. And for all of you watching all over the world, thank you. Uh, Grab your Bible if you would. And I just wanna turn our attention to uh, Ephesians chapter one. And moving from there to Revelations chapter two, Ephesians one, Revelations chapter two, as we're doing that, as we're turning there, I wanted to say thank you for being a church that prioritizes rest. And uh, my wife and I, we've been able to have three weeks off and that's a big deal, I appreciate that. Uh, I've come back rested and recharged and this is my two and a half hour sermon that you've earned over the past, what are you laughing at? Over the past three weeks, so uh, we're rested and ready to go. I want to bring a message today called The Space Between Potential and Passion. The Space Between Potential and Passion. I think for some of us, that's a big, big, big space between what we could be and then what we're passionate about. And for some of us, man, that that space is really, really narrow when our potential and our passion meet together to accomplish fantastic things. I I was noticing an interview uh, from a while back when, when Kobe... The basketball player was interviewed about Shaq. You know, if you guys know the NBA, they had this volatile relationship. They're fantastic together, but um, they have very, very different work ethic styles. And it's, it's completely different between Shaq and Kobe and Kobe and Shaq. And they asked a question to Kobe, what could Shaq have been if he would have had your work ethic? Like what would his potential be if he had your passion? And I love that, that Kobe's like, he'd be the GOAT. Like he'd be the greatest basketball player of all time he just didn't have the work ethic that I had. And then when you look at Shaq, you're like, I can see why. Like, he doesn't have to, right? He's big. He is a monster. And when you're seven foot one, 301 pounds, and you're 19 years old, like, you do what you want. Like, you're, from now on, it's sir, right? <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm reminded of Allen Iverson in his famous interview, like, practice? Practice? I don't have to practice. I'm good, you know? And so as we're digging into this word, I want to I wanna just kind of hopefully spark your, uh, spark your interest to, to read the Bible in a fresh way, and not just where we're reading words on a page, but we're asking ourselves, Lord, what are you saying to me through this word? How can you unlock the potential in my life, the potential in this church, so that the things that I'm passionate about and the things that I have potential to become kind of meet in the middle and become the purpose that you have for me? As we're digging into this, uh, Ephesians chapter one uh, shows this new church in, in Ephesus, and Paul is so proud of kind of his landmark church. This is a big deal. This is an amazing church that Paul is so proud of, and he writes this, this fantastic letter to explain to them how much he loves them and to kind of show them their potential. He shows them how proud he is of them, of all the things that, that they've done, and he gives them like hope for their future, like what you guys could become. It's just off the charts. And so he writes this in Ephesians chapter one. He writes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and the, the love that you have for all of God's people, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the, the glorious Father, 
I ask that he might give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you could know him better. He goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You may understand that hope that Christ has for you, the, the potential that, 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 that could be accomplished. I pray that you get, a, you get an idea of what you could really do. I love how he just begins to, to coach them up. He's it's just such a good coach. The Apostle Paul such a good coach. He can just inspire them and encourage them and, and challenge them and just pull out the best of them. Have you ever had somebody that could do that in your life? You ever had a really good coach that could just make you feel like I could run through a wall? Then you realize, oh, wait a minute, I, I cannot run through a wall. Let's have a good coach. You know? He just made me believe that, that I can. But the Apostle Paul speaks to their potential. You have a bright future. You have fantastic potential. Imagine what could be. And as I'm reading that, I can't help but look and, and think about my life and our church, this, this church, High Ridge Longview. And I, I look at us and I, I, I believe with all of my heart that our best days are still in front of us. What we could be is just now becoming because of, because of you. We have fantastic potential. But then I look at the church in Ephesus and realize that that's not the end of the story. Because Revelations chapter two, we move to somebody else that's writing to them. This is now 34 years later. And where Paul was this coach cheering them on, talking about their potential and what they could be. John writes on behalf of Jesus. He's not the coach. He's Big Daddy. And Big Daddy is saying, what in the world happened to you? And I can't help but look at that and say, oh Lord, don't let that be my future. Where you have to come to me and say, what happened to you? I called you, I appointed you, I set you apart. I sent my son to die in your place. I gave you everything that you needed to accomplish my purpose. You have fantastic potential. And what happened? What did you do with it? Now Big Daddy comes in Revelation chapter two and John writes on behalf of Jesus and he writes with a finger that's pointing at him. Ever been in those moments where you realize that what's being said, like this, this is not good. I wanted to coach, I wanted somebody to encourage me, and instead I got Big Daddy with a belt. You ever been there? You're like, I, I, would, rather, I would rather be anywhere but here. And this is that moment where potential got lost. Potential wasn't enough. This is what happens in, in, John, in uh, Revelation chapter two. John says this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. So he makes no mistake. He says, this is for you. He says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. He said, I know the things that you've done. You've done a lot of things right. You've walked through hell. You've persevered. You've kept true to the true gospel. You've kept true to great doctrine. And Paul warned them, don't get caught up in any other doctrine. And they didn't. They held true to it. But then he uses a powerful word. He says, nevertheless. The original language says, uh, despite all that. That's how we interpret it. Despite all that you've had to walk through. Despite all that you've been through. Despite all that. He says, I still hold this thing against you. You've got a major problem. He says, you've not grown weary in other words, you're not tired, you're passionless. You've lost the, the, the fire, the spark. 
He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken, somebody say forsaken, the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, and by the way, when the Bible says stuff like that, that this ain't happy times. This is a warning. If you don't, repent and do the, the things you did at first. If you do not repent, he says, I will come to you or I'm gonna stop this car. I'm gonna pull this thing over. He says, I will remove your lampstand from its place, but you have this in your favor. You hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I, which I also hate. So he said, if you, if you don't come back to me, if you don't come back to what I originally intended, for, if you don't come back to this place that you had at the beginning, he said, I'm going to remove my presence. I'm going to remove your spirit. I'm going to remove your effectiveness as a church. I'm going to remove myself. And you're going to go play church. You're going to lie to yourself and tell, tell yourself that I'm there and base your walk as a church on a feeling, on how I can be inspired or or entertained. And by the way, you see churches like this all the time. There's a choice that every church has to make at some point when they're hosting the presence of God, when God is here, when he's moving, when he's speaking and he's changing hearts and minds and lives. And those moments are precious because not every church gets the power in the presence of God. He goes where he's invited and where he's welcomed. And the church in Ephesus, somewhere between their potential, they lost their passion. And Paul is very clear, and John is very clear, speaking on behalf of Jesus, that passion is something that we are responsible for. It's not a feeling that God gives you. The same is true in your marriage. Your passion, that's your responsibility. It's not his it's not hers, it's yours. You are responsible for the level of your passion in our walk with God. I think we too often say, God, you're gonna have to do something for me so I can get really passionate about serving you. That's not how that works. And John is clear. He said, you need to repent. You need to come back to this. You had some fantastic passion at the beginning and you had potential and you didn't live up to it. Did you listen? No. Did you keep that passion burning? No. There's some powerful insights as we're digging into the scripture. As a matter of fact, uh, in Revelations 2, Jesus reminds them, he says, I know your works. I know what you've done. I see it. I recognize that you've had to walk through hell. And somebody needs to hear that today, that Jesus sees it. There's nothing that escapes his attention. When you've had to walk through hard times, he says, I see that. I see you. I'm with you. I recognize what you've had to walk through. I recognize your endurance. I see all the good things that you've done. He sees what they did right. And he says, I told you to stay true to the, to the true gospel, the true doctrine for the right purposes, and you've done that. He says, and, I, and this is something that we have in common. He says, you, you hate the theology, the practices of the, of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What does that mean when he says you, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans? I wanna, I wanna uh, make sure that we understand this. The Nicolaitans' theology is to use the gospel to control people for more power and financial gain. This is what we understand from that theology. And by the way, that is the spirit of the American church. We've adopted this, marketed it, prop it up, and use 
the gospel, this precious message of God sending his son to save sinners, to manipulate people for control, power, and financial gain. God says, I hate that. And you know what, Ephesus? You hate it too. There's scripture that says, Lord, I, I, I love the things that you love and I, I hate what you hate. Then he says, but nevertheless, I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. It shows us that what we know doesn't replace what we neglect. This is important for us to understand. I'm gonna bring you a challenge today as a church. I'm gonna bring you a, a challenge as a believer, a challenge as a follower of Jesus Christ. What we know can't replace what you're neglecting. He said, you've done a lot of good things. Nevertheless, you've neglected this. And he says, if you don't take care of this, I'm gonna pull this car over. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come back there in a few minutes. He's serious. What we know doesn't replace what we neglect. And he says this, he says, uh, you've forsaken your first love. You know, I've, I've always misquoted that scripture. And I've heard it misquoted before. We say, you've lost your first love. He doesn't say you've lost your first love. As a matter of fact, the original language doesn't just say forsaken. It says you left it. Yes. You left it. You didn't lose it. You left it. There's a big difference between losing something and leaving something, Right? You, you can lose something by accident. You don't leave by accident. Well, I, I left my house this morning by accident. That, that's dementia, Mima. That's, that's dementia. That's something you, you don't leave anywhere by accident. You can lose something. And when you turn, when you turn 40, you're going to start lo losing stuff by accident all the time. I don't know where I put my kids around here someplace. You don't leave something by accident. He said, you forsook it. It's a choice that you made to allow other things to become more important than the passion that you started with. And when I read this, when I, when, I, when I look at these words on a page, it jumps out and speaks right to my heart. I'm like, my God, that's me. That is us as believers. Let us pay attention to the warning that he gives in scripture. I know it's not popular. It's not something that you wanna hear on a Sunday morning. It's not something that makes people give a lot more tithe money, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Jesus was clear. He said, you're gonna repent, you're gonna turn from this, or I'm gonna to come to you and take away that lampstand, and you're gonna to go to church to be entertained. You're gonna to lie to yourself and base your belief in me on, on your feelings and your emotions and convince yourself that I'm still there and I'm long gone. He was clear that he wasn't playing, he was, he wasn't playing around. How, what, what causes us to forsake our passion? What causes us to, to walk away from that? Not to lose it, but to leave it. What causes that to happen in the lives of believers? I wanna expose some things that we see through this scripture that happened in the church of Ephesus that are still happening to us today. And you're gonna recognize them. You're gonna see them. I wanna give you four quick things. This is what causes us to forsake our passion. Number one, we get, it, we get our relationship with God propped up on personalities. Read it. This is what happens. We start losing our passion for the Lord, our passion for the lost, when our passion is propped up on a personality. And our American church, our American Christianity is built on celebrity pastors. 
What happens when a, when a minister does something stupid? And people are like, I'll never go back to church again. How in the world is your walk with God based upon his walk with God? But this is what happens. We lose our passion when it's propped up on personalities. I want to remind you that, uh, that, that they had the apostle Paul speaking to him for three years. And he turns it over to Timothy, who's kind of a big deal. It's his right-hand man, the young up-and-comer. They also have Apollos here. And by the way, Apollos was, was a big gatherer. People liked what he had to say. They've got fantastic leadership. Priscilla and Aquila are here. They're wealthy business leaders that were apostolic as a team, a husband and a wife team. It's powerful. It's groundbreaking. They're right on the cutting edge with fantastic personalities and, and these, uh, these amazing leaders. They're hearing the best sermons in the world. And Jesus says, what happened to you? This is 34 years later. You had some of the best leaders, some of the best sermons but you've chosen personalities over the truth. Come on, we cannot choose personality over truth. Your walk with God cannot be based on mine. I will let you down. I know me. I will say something at some point that will highly offend you. I know, I do it to everybody. I do it to myself. <laughs> I know me. I get it. I'll tell a joke that I think is hilarious and other people will be like, that, you can't say that. I'm like, I just did, I don't. I didn't know there was a rule. And people will say that, that backhanded compliment, PT, I love you because you're authentic. That just means we're not sure if you're going to cuss or not. <laughs> I'm not sure either to tell you the truth. I don't know. But your walk with God cannot be based upon my walk with God. You will lose your passion for the things of God if it is based upon the personality that you're following. Let me remind you of who they had in this church. It leads me to believe this, that I can have great leaders, hear great sermons, and still have great apathy. Do you see it? And Jesus says in Revelations 2, remember how far you've fallen. How'd you get here? We have our relationship with God propped up on personalities. Here's a second thing that causes us to forsake our passion, and that's when rules and routines replace relationship. I'm giving you so much alliteration today to help you remember because this is this important. It's a lot of P's and a lot of R's, right? Propped up on personalities, rules and relationships, rules and, and, and regulations and routines replace the relationship. That's a tongue twister. I don't care who you are. English is my second language. That's not true. But what is true is that when we get more into the routine and to the rules, we create this secondary gospel. If I just do the, do the rules, do all the things, that's going to make me passionate for the Lord. Like that, at some point, it's, it, that's just what you're doing. It's not who you're about. You know, you don't have a great marriage because he mows the lawn and does the dishes. Like that, that's a bonus. <laughs> you have a great marriage when you have a connection. When you're for the same things, when you're loving one another, when you're passionate about the same core values, that, that's a great marriage. Now, if that person also happens to do dishes and mow the lawn, you got a bonus. That's great. But it's not about just following some rules and doing things. I mean, it, it's that you know one another. Am, am I right? Yeah. 
That passion comes from when I, when I know you and you, you know me and we can look across the room and I know what you're thinking and you know what I'm thinking. We're looking at that lady like, <laughs> like you know I'm thinking she should not have worn that. And you're like, I know. But that's your mother, you know. There's a connection there, right? You, you see what I see and we boom. <laughs> that comes from a deep relationship. I know you, you know me. This is why Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you, you may know him better. That passion comes when you know the Lord. That is the heartbeat of our church. It's the beginning of everything that we do here. We have a strong desire. It's my biggest challenge for you is to help teach you to know God better. Otherwise, when I say something or do something or somebody in your small group does something, you're going to be highly offended. This is going to be that church that had so much potential but just made you mad. When your relationship with God is propped up on a personality, one of those personalities at some point, it's gonna tick you off. That's how easy it is for the enemy to destroy your potential and to rob you of your passion. It's propped up on a personality and it's based on rules and regulations that nobody could follow. You're not gonna find love and passion there. You find more rules. Here's the third. You guys aren't listening fast enough. I gotta move faster. Here's number three. I've been on break for three weeks. What do you expect? I'm ready to go. I've had two cups of coffee. Like, let's move. Number three, uh, we forsake our passion when sin silences the spirit. Sin. We violated the voice of the Holy Spirit. We violated the voice of the, the conscience that God has given every person on the planet. And when we continually violate what God is telling us not to do at some point, he says, I'm not talking to you anymore. Because you don't listen. Now, nobody wants to hear that. But everybody wants a word from the Lord. Nobody wants that word to be, stop doing that. <laughs> this is wrong. Like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I'm perfect just the way that I am. God, give me a word. Tell me about my potential. Sin silences the spirit. And that should terrify some of us. Come on, that should terrify you. When God's presence ain't there and he ain't speaking to you no more and you can't blame anybody else but yourself, that should terrify us as a church. Come on, somebody. That is not a good place to be because you're going to make up stuff that you believe God's saying to make you feel better about the fact that he ain't saying nothing. You're lying to yourself. He ain't there because you wouldn't listen. You kept walking in sin, kept excusing it. When you knew it was wrong, sin silences the spirit. When we ignore warnings from the Holy Spirit, he gets quiet. You know, when, you're, when your body is hungry, it starts making some noise. Come on. Like, we got about 10 minutes till you get to Taco Bell. Something's got to happen right now. We got to make a run for the border or I'm going to get hangry. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I'm hangry. When your body is in pain, you get loud. You start making some noise. You start saying some words that aren't welcome in a Baptist church. But when you violate the voice of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't get louder. He gets quiet. And then you'll lie to yourself that he's speaking to you. And you're listening to yourself. Sin silences the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why David in Psalm 51 writes this fantastic prayer of repentance. He's, he's committed adultery. And then he's murdered the husband of the woman he committed adult with. David, 
The guy that writes like 95% of all the worship songs that we have, we gotta write a huge royalty check to David at some point for singing all of his songs. That guy writes in Psalm 51, God, I have sinned. I have messed up. I've done horrible things. Then he says this. He says, please do not cast me from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's a terrifying thing to try to do life without the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is more terrifying still to try to lead a church by convincing yourself that the Holy Spirit's still there. Please hear me. It's a big deal. And David says, please don't take me from your presence. Please don't do that to me. That's the fear of the Lord, by the way. That's the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to be, to have, to have, to have that fear of the Lord? I heard somebody one time says, do you, do you guys fear the Lord? Are you God-fearing people? And he said, yes, we're scared to death. <laughs> That's not what that means. I want to define it this way. The fear of the Lord is to be terrified of living outside of his will and his presence. And that should challenge some of us today. Is this okay? Can I bring you something that will help you? You need to see this. I'm not sitting here pointing the finger at the church in Ephesus. I'm not sitting here pointing the finger at you. I'm saying, this, this, is, this is our issue right here. This is American Christianity. It's wrong. This is wrong. It's wrong. God says, I hate that. I want a real relationship with you. I want you talking to me, and I want to speak to you. I want you to hear from me and be led by my spirit. I want you to be terrified of living anywhere outside of a relationship with me. Never walk back. And this is God speaking to each of us today, reminding us of the preciousness that is his presence. And here's number four. Uh, frequent fires fry feelings. I'm giving you as much alliteration as I can. I'm just telling you. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, the church in Ephesus was surrounded by anxiety and stress and worry and pressure. They were constantly being hunted down for their faith. And this is why, this is why the Lord tells them in Revelations 2. He says, I know your works. You guys have had to persevere. You've had great hardships. You've had tons of anxiety and stress and worry and pressure. You fought through wars. I get it. I get it. I get it. And when you're surrounded by anxiety and stress and pressure and worry, when you're surrounded by things that constantly push you into a place of fear, after a while, it's like, I don't even care, man, burn it down. Right? Come on, the past two and a half years, every single headline that you read is something else that's going to kill you. After a while, it's like, hit something hard. I don't care. Your senses just get dulled. Your PTSD and anxiety just brings you to a place of apathy, and you're like, I don't know, man. Monkeypox, like, bring it. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but you don't care. Like, we had another wave of COVID hit. Don't care. Don't care. Why? Because you've had too much of it. Do you see this? The same thing happens with the Ephesian church. The same thing happens to us today after a while. When everything's a fire, nothing is. When everything's critical, nothing is. When everything's important, you got to do this, and then nothing is. After a while, it's like. He says, What happened to you? What happened to your passion? It's like I gave it to everything else. And I have nothing left to give you. Frequent fires will fry those feelings and push us into apathy. 
and it causes us to give away our passion for the Lord. We've got nothing left to give. Constant anxiety, constant overstimulation, it dulls our senses. This is another reason why churches cannot be built on hype. It can't. At some point, you've got to keep one-upping yourself. And then you come to the place where you're like, I, I got nothing left to give you. I don't know what, what else. How much more can I hype you up? <laughs> we follow truth, not hype. Truth. And if you don't know the truth, if you don't know God's word for yourself, you will find yourself constantly following hype and wondering where my passion went, wondering what I could be, what my potential was, but I followed hype and personalities. I, I followed my own lust and walked into sin. Do you see this? Is this okay? That space between potential and passion becomes miles when we give it away. You know, marriage is a, is a place where we want a ton of passion. But mar- marriage is work. It's not a party. You, you have a party the day that you get married. That's a big celebration. After that, you go into some work. Yep. You're like, what happened to the party? Like, that was yesterday. <laughs> the honeymoon period is over, and now what do we do? We go to work. Doing what? Getting to know each other better. Getting to understand you. Getting you to understand me. Finding ways to communicate. We start working for each other. James says, you know, faith without, without works is, is dead. And so we work. We do the things that God has called us to do because we're passionate about him. And that passion drives us to do the things that we do. You still with me today? Is that okay? I want to finish up with, with some practical things. How do, we, uh, how do we foster that passion? And, and in Revelations 2, Jesus is very specific about what he tells them to do. He warns them, like, if you don't handle this, I'm going to come to you and take my spirit from you as a church. What in the world would you have me do? Let me get back to clear directions. What are you asking of me? He gives them three things. Number one, he says, you need to remember. Take some time to remember. Remember. Remember where you started from. Remember where you came from. He said, there's some passion that you left right there. Get back to the beginning. Just me and just you. Me speaking, you being obedient. The Lord says, I I will speak to you. And you're just responding to me because you loved me. Back before you had personalities and good church and bad church and good services and bad services and stupid pastors and great pastors and great sermons and horrible sermons and sister so-and-so doing this and brother, just get back to just me and just you. He said, I need you to remember. Remember where you came from. One of the things that I love to do with, with my wife, and this is uh, cheap entertainment. I, I love to go and sit in a mall or an airport and just people watch. Uh, it's hilarious to me, and it makes me feel better about my life. <laughs> Things are not so bad when you're like, hmm. And we don't have to say anything. I just look outside of my eye, and she side-eyes me like, Ugh. And we know. We know. We were people watching a few weeks back, and I was expecting to just to look and find the people. That you're like, hmm, you're visiting from, uh, from Gilmer. I can tell. <laughs> Like, oh, there. Gladewater. Gladewater. <laughs> Union Grove. Oof. But as we looked, it, it quickly became apparent that what I was seeing was 
was more pain than I've ever seen in my life. I watched a couple come in with a teenage daughter and um, she had large chunks of her hair that was missing and as she's talking to her parents, she's pulling out strands of hair. Obviously, like there's a disorder there that caused her to just to pull and to pull and to pull constantly having this desire to pull out her hair and I'm like, my God, my gosh. And my heart goes out for these people and the Lord's like, remember, remember what it's like to not have a lot of hope. Remember what it's like for people to have a lot. You see, we get in a bubble in Christianity. You get in this bubble of people that will tell you what you want to hear and everything's great and fine. I'm too blessed to be stressed. But then you get to reality and you're like, wow. There's a lot of people that are not okay. And perhaps, perhaps the passion I have for the Lord is more than just about me. But how we can help somebody else. And the Lord calls the church in Ephesus back to the basics. He said, remember how far you've fallen. Paul says, I want the eyes of your heart to become enlightened. You can, you can remember that hope that God gave you. Remember what it's like to not have hope. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son where he finds himself in, in a pig pen. And the scripture says, but he came to his senses. The light bulb came on. He's like, man, even the servants have got it better than this. Hope comes back when he remembers what it's like to be led by the Spirit. When he remembers what it's like to be in the presence of his Father. And this is a strong word for us today. Go back to just him and just you. He gives him the second point. He says, I need you to repent. That's a word that we don't use a lot in today's Christianity, but it is critical. Not to just find heaven. You have to have repentance to find heaven, but I need repentance today for thoughts and for attitudes. Live in a place where I turn from my wickedness, from the things that are inside of me, the things that are inside of you. I need to make better decisions here. Repentance, by the way, repentance is not a feeling. Repentance is a turning away from. It's a choice that you make. A choice that produces better choices, by the way. Let me say it that way. Real repentance comes with new choices. That's how you know. John looks at the Pharisees when they're coming to get baptized. He's like, wait a minute. Who warned you to, to, to get in the water to get baptized? You guys are still following a bunch of rules and regulations. You won't even help people. He says, you need to bear some fruit in keeping with repentance. You need to prove by your deeds, prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and, and turned to God. That's Matthew 3. Prove it. Real repentance comes with better decisions. It's not saying I'm sorry. It's, I'm different. It's a determination. I'm not coming back here. And real passion begins to happen in our marriages as well. When you make some better decisions, you make some better choices. Like it, this is not more important than you. What happened to the passion in my marriage? It's still there. And it's waiting on you to make some decisions. The last one is, is this. He said, I need you to return. Remember, repent, and return. Return to what? He said, return to your first works. Return to doing something for me that I ask you to do out of your whole heart. Not out of some sense of duty or obligation, but because you love me. You want to be about what I'm about. Return to your passion. You know, we had a great time this, this past week. I got to uh, 
to, to relive my youth pastor days. I did youth ministry for a long time and uh, I got to spend last Thursday night going to YFN camp and being around, you know, like 2,000 screaming young people as they're going for it in the presence of God. And I'm like, woo, I found my people. That's what I'm talking about. I love it. I, lo- I want to, like Ariel said in The Little Mermaid, she says, I want to be where the people are. Like, not me, I want to be the passionist. I want to be where some people are passionate about the things of the Lord, but they're just going nuts. For, I'm like, I want to be in the middle of that. Like, move over, kids. I'm not sitting here, I'm not an observer. I'm a participant. Come on, somebody. I'm here to get in it. Because it's contagious. I know that when they're, when they're going for it in the presence of God, like, I want to be right in the middle because I want some of that too. You don't get a lot of passion by just watching it. You got to get in it. And it's contagious, right? If I sat up here for an hour and talked about yawning, at some point you would start yawning, right? It's contagious. If I, some of you are like, I've been yawning since your first point. You better do something. But it's contagious and it affects those that are around us. And when I get it and, and, and you get it and we get passionate about it, about what God has called us to do, we get passionate about helping people. We get passionate about looking at a city that needs Jesus, not just more religion. When that begins to happen, let me tell you, it's powerful. Things begin to change. And God has a notorious track record of using cities that nobody else would think could be used to produce great things. He makes noises that span globes. I still believe that as a church, we haven't yet begun to reach our potential. Our best days are still in front of us. And I wanna invite you to be a part of a church that cares deeply about the presence of God, that cares deeply about being passionate. There's a reason why they describe Jesus. It says, zeal for your house consumes me, right? You're responsible for your own level of passion and your passion is contagious. Your passion will affect people, and we, I get it, and when you get it, we will make a noise that this world has, has it, they ain't ready for it yet. It's a noise of the true return of the Holy Spirit to churches that desperately need it. We need to remind them of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Not cuckoo, not weird. The way that we were supposed to be. It's contagious. It's powerful. And I see that in our future. And like Paul, I'm here to, to coach you today to tell you you're responsible for your passion for the Lord. And I'm not here to, to inspire you. I'm here to challenge you. At some point, we don't, I, your, your passion can't be just based on some feeling. Make me feel a certain way, Pastor, and I'll, and I'll do these things. Like, that's, that's, that's not it. That's manipulation. Passion comes when we bring it back, when we bring it back. I wanna remind you that potential and passion, there's a big space between those. Where are we? Where are you? When what you could be meets what you're excited about. When was the last time you got excited for the things of God? Excited to be used by him in a powerful way. Excited to serve I want to be a part of a church that's excited to serve. Put me in the game. If I've got to talk you in to serving God, that's manipulation. I'm not here to do that. We don't need you. There's plenty of people here that, that want to serve. If I've got to talk you into giving, like that's manipulation. I shouldn't have to do that. 
I don't pass a plate here. I'll give you an opportunity and invite you to do it. But if you're passionate about the things of the Lord, I shouldn't have to talk you into anything. I'm presenting the truth. I'm saying, I'm not here to hype you up. I'm here to challenge you. But there is a returning to the gospel that God has laid us out very clearly in his word. And he invites us to be a part of it. And it's powerful. And your world needs it. Desperately needs it. You know, if I was to, to crack my knuckles up here, some of you are like, mm-hmm. you, I don't know if you can hear that. I mean, can you hear that? Is that weird? I have to use a microphone for you to even be able to hear it. It's these arthritis and these old football fingers, they don't bend like they used to bend. Come on, somebody. You, you, can, you can barely hear that, but I wonder what would happen if we all did it at the same time. I don't know if this has ever been done at church. How about this? Let's finish up today. I'm gonna give you, I'll give you to the count of three. Let's get really, really quiet. And then you pop something. And if it's like, all I pop is my hip. Well, pop your hip, Mima. It's gonna be fun. One, two, three. You know, I can't make a huge noise by myself, but together, we can make a noise and make people turn their heads. They're going to get a little reaction. Come on, somebody. That's something to be thankful for. We can do it together. You and me, passionate about the things of the Lord, we're going to make a noise that our city needs to hear. Our best days are in front of us. I want to invite you to be a part of it, not to hinder it, to be a part of it. And be amazed at what God can do through a church that's truly consumed with zeal for his presence. Are you still with me? As we finish up today, I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to just give you a chance to respond to the Holy Spirit, whatever he may be saying to you. I believe he's calling believers back to the simple things. Reading his word. Prayer, real prayer, real communion with the Father. I believe he's bringing us back to just hearing and obeying Devotion, simple devotion. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's not based on a bunch of feelings or manipulation. It's based on the truth of these principles found right here. It's good for you. The Lord is calling you back to a passionate relationship with him. You're responsible for your level of passion. And it's time as a church that we want more than just inspiration. We want truth. We don't want hype. We want truth. And here's the thing about the truth. The Bible says it'll set you free. But it's also something that you have to walk in. We're walking in this truth. We're taking steps. We're willing to do the work. As you're finishing up today, I want to just to invite you to respond to the Lord, whatever that may be. Is there, is there something that you need to repent from today? Something in your life that you know is, is not uh, accomplishing God's purpose? It's, it's not good for you? I want to invite you to repent of that today. And I want to pray for you right where you are. Father, I pray for every person that's hearing the sound of my voice. I pray that they would at some point not just hear me, but hear you speaking to them, calling them to a place of strong passion calling them back to a real relationship with you, not based on churches, not based on pastors, but a relationship with you. We say yes. We respond to it. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I I want a relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure if I really have one.
And I want to help you right where you are to take the first step. It starts with a prayer. I'll tell you what to say. The prayer goes like this. Pray this with me. Just say this. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you came, you died, you rose from the grave so that I could have life and forgiveness for my sins. Will you forgive me? Save me. I give my life to you right now in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that was you, would you do me a favor and just slip up your hands so that was me, Pastor? I prayed that prayer. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of it. I believe that the words that I just said started my relationship with Jesus. Good for you. If you're watching online, I'm so proud of you. I want to invite you to respond. The easiest way to do that, if you pray that prayer, would be to text me. Text the words, I prayed, to 844-HRC-TEXT. If you do that, I'm going to send you some links of some things that I've made just for you. I'm proud of you. Good for you. Well, Highridge family, go ahead and look up at me and stand to your feet if you would. I'm so thankful that you're able to come today and, and hear the word of the Lord. We got something special coming up for you next week. I can't wait for you to be here. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm going to invite our elders and their wives forward to pray for you about anything that you might need prayer about. For everyone else, let me bless you and, and send you out. Father, I thank you for my friends. I pray that you bless them with an incredible week following after you all week long. In Jesus' name, everyone said together. Amen. God bless you as you go. If you like what you heard, go ahead and share the message. I love you. Have an amazing week. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you want to be a part of our online community, connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit highridgelv.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.